Hello and welcome to Virtual Roundtables Live, the broadcast that brings business leaders together to discuss and debate the latest industry topics and trends. Now over to today's host. Welcome to this webinar. It's great to have you with us. They say hindsight's a wonderful thing. And after over a year of unprecedented disruption, we've all gotten a little bit more hindsight than we signed up for. Now, workers across the globe are now working remotely and flexible work looks set to continue even for the long term. All of that has been enabled by existing and new cloud-based solutions that enable people to work effectively from wherever they are. It could be their kitchens, their bedrooms, their lounges, wherever they are, cloud-based solutions have enabled them to work from there. Five years ago, none of us could have seen this coming, but some businesses were certainly even more prepared for the disruption than others were. And generally, it's the early and enthusiastic adopters of cloud technology that we are most prepared for this change. Today, it's becoming clearer how indispensable cloud adoption is to an organization. Now the argument against full hybrid cloud is even getting more wicked than ever. But this wasn't always the case. In the early days of cloud, business leaders argued that it wasn't secure enough for their valuable data. Could it be PII or business sensitive intellectual property? And back then, they had a point. The situation today looks very different. Not everybody is convinced, and there are still businesses out there who are wary of the cloud. In fact, a, a recent cloud security report cited as much as 52% of respondents still thought the security risk in the cloud was higher than on-premises. And that's what we're here to discuss today. We're going to ask three key questions. Is the cloud secure enough for sensitive data today? Two, with the benefit of hindsight, would you have trusted cloud sooner? And three, what can we do to better prepare for whatever business disruption might come our way in the future? To do that, I'm joined today with two very special guests. Firstly, I'm joined by Nick Smith, who is the IT and Digital Operations Director at 1000 Heads. Welcome, Nick. And I'm delighted to introduce you to Brian Brackenborough, who is the CISO at Channel 4. Brian. Hello. Nick, my first question is to you. Um, how did Cloud Help 1000 Heads respond to the demands of the pandemic? <clears throat> well, we were we've always had a cloud first approach anyway <clears throat> so as an agency we've been heavily you know, we heavily use uh, office 365 and other cloud tools in our day-to-day -day operations so for us really it's about the migration um, or, or decommission legacy infrastructure and building a more responsive and agile environment for our for our um, for our staff and to communicate and collaborate with our clients more effectively and this has kind of enabled enabled us to build consistency in the tools we use across our global offices, which over the years has become quite fragmented. Interesting. Thank you very much, Nick. Um, Brian, I know that you know um, in the broadcast sector, Channel Four was one of the first early adopters of of, of cloud, um, and you've been making that transition, you know, through your transformation strategy for for quite a few years. What, what what drove you and, and, and Channel 4 to adopt cloud technology? I was quite lucky 
Uh, I joined Channel 4 in 2011, and um, they'd already made that that decision. We had a very um, insightful CTO at the time, Bob Harris, and he'd he'd seen the future of cloud and, and was a strong supporter of it. And we'd realized that um, obviously when you're putting so much media, rich content um, out there for people to be able to to view on, on varying devices from big TVs to laptops to, to mobile phones, that's a lot of content. And that's going to be quite a quite a significant amount of tin if you're going to be running it in-house. Um, so so cloud for that was kind of a, a, an obvious an obvious step. And it was something that I was quite reticent about when I, in my previous role because it was quite early on but what we've done since then is that we've realized that it is the way forward and, and we've been pushing more and the same with Nick we have a cloud first strategy and we're slowly migrating the corporate side of, of the networks and systems over to, to cloud as well uh, it just makes an awful lot of sense to, to have that return on investment and uh, a lower cost of ownership very interesting uh, and, and Nick, from from looking at your your strategy, your cloud first strategy um, over the past um, number of years, um, ten years ago, is there any anything you would have um, done differently if you knew about the pandemic with regards to your cloud first strategy? Um, I don't think I would have accelerated it any quicker than what it's what it's gone at already. <clears throat> you know, we've we've kind of had this cloud first approach for a very long time now. Um, but the change is always going to be a gradual one. You know, where we start to decommission legacy kit, there's always a disruption to the business, and then there's a change of workflow. And it's, you know, these hybrid changes are, you know, uh, uh, also ha has a knock-on effect to the cultural changes within the within the office as well. Mm -hmm. So I think that, you know, sticking to our guns and making that gradual change is. Yeah, and going at the right pace has been a good decision for us. I don't think I would have changed my views on that. Um, jumping, jumping into a cloud-first, you know, environment from day one probably would have been, you know, too aggressive, to you know, too big a change. And as Brian's alluded to, there's certain services over the years that you just, you just can't, you can't move over to, you know, to the cloud environment because it's you know it, it's kind of legacy legacy infrastructure or a legacy setup so you know it's easy to get left behind with with tech, technology and and how it how quickly it changes but yeah i think broadly i i would have made the same decision 10 years ago and and, and adopt that change gradually as opposed to just jumping in feet first very interesting and, and in terms of um what you're saying now is that now is the time for it's even easier for a lot of organizations to starting off the ground, you know, just have a, a, a cloud first strategy and, and, and run with that. It's perfect. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Brian, I have a follow up question there. Um, you know, you, you were talking about in, in, in the past, um, you wouldn't have gone to the cloud previously. Um, but from your from your um, experience so far in your industry, um, has on-prem, do you, you see on-prem technology now being the ex ex exception rather than the rule for yeah. for our organizations in the broadcast sector? Um, yeah, I think so. As I said, you know, we're talking about um, significant amounts of data um, from the broadcasting perspective, particularly now if we've gone to, to high definition. Um, you know, it used to, it, it feels a very long time ago that it was only standard definition, but now we're also moving towards um, 
uh, ultra high definition as well and these these are bigger bigger files um, but it's more so for the um, for the corporate side of the network for emails and um, and for documents I agree with Nick. I would have liked to 10 years ago, rushed it forward, but I don't actually think the security was there at the time. It was always the case that the the big providers would release new features, um, but then it was the rest of the security industry that needed to catch up with, you know, web firewalls um, and, and DDoS protection. And that, and that just wasn't there. They were still playing catch up. So that's why I was nervous in my previous company to, to think that we wanted to move the corporate side of the network into, into a cloud environment and me just feeling, well, how are we going to be able to protect this? And at the time, mm. um, and I think it's the same for senior managers as well. You want to be able to go and sort of touch the kit and see the lights are flashing and, and feel confident that they're up and running. Um, but you don't have the same level of security in this day and age in a, you know, a, a server room in the basement as you do have in the cloud. If you go and have a look at the credentials that any company's got compared to Amazon or Google or even, even Dropbox, you know, you can see there's much more significant investment. So um, just just looking at that um, hindsight, you know, and um, what has changed on your viewpoint from then to to now, um, and Brian, have that have those have you had to translate the risks, you know, from on prem to cloud? Like, what has that? How has that changed in your overall risk cyber risk profile? It becomes a lot more about governance. Um, which is always a you know a, a key buzzword. You 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 stop worrying quite so much about it being your responsibility to maintain the the uptime or the resilience or the continuity of your systems, and spend more time focusing on making sure that your the SLAs that you have or the KPIs that you have are, are being met. So yeah, you you start looking. Um, a lot more actually what the risks are and how you can mitigate them. But, it, you know, as I said, over time, the security within within the cloud providers has increased quite dramatically, which makes that an awful lot easier. So, in fact, I think my, my biggest problem that I have, or one of the biggest problems I have now, is keeping on top of all of that new functionality that's coming out on such a frequent basis and ensuring that what you've, what you've got is always um, applicable. It's not best of breed. It's not Rolls Royce necessarily. It's what you, it's what you need as opposed to what you want, because obviously it all still comes at a cost. Amazing, um, Nick. Just also looking at your the, the 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 looking at hindsight, you know, through your experience. Um, when when and why did you decide you know the cloud was secure enough for your data? Um, I think like you know, as Brian alluded to, you know, the tools have really come on in the last sort of you know, five years or so. <clears throat> so you're able to to invest in in third party tools like SIM or, or or Casby technology to wrap around these cloud environments so that you've got you've got greater visibility over you know over your data and your and your services. Um, but I think a you know a strong point here is is definitely buy-in from leadership. Um, leadership teams are now understanding you know what you know what good security is, what what is required, because there's a lot of demand coming from our clients. You know, some of our clients are throwing questionnaires at us with very stringent security requirements. And we're having to plug holes in our security program to make sure we're compliant with, you know, with with those. So, you know, following frameworks like ISO and and you know and NIST and uh, you know and other good security frameworks is kind of 
you know, up there right now and very prevalent to how we're implementing new technology. But, you know, there's, there is this, there was a gradual shift in security technology and all of a sudden, you know, you've got kind of a boom of, of different providers that are, you know, re-engineering what they're doing. So, you know, it's kind of that that leadership buy-in. Um, it's mm. finding more agile ways for our more agile and secure ways for our people to work. You know, criminals are capitalising on on remote working and weaknesses, and um, and the leadership teams know that they you know they need to respond to that to keep their workforce their workforce secure. And I think that was that was significantly helped. I mean. As, as Nick was saying, ISO is brilliant, and so is, is NIST. But they're 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 very much security credentials, which sometimes can be quite a tough sell because there isn't a return on investment by by doing it. But of course, in 2018, we had GDPR. So prior to that, there may not have been much consideration from a company about taking all of their customers' data and putting it in the cloud. And suddenly, there was this regulation that says that you have to protect it. And there was no way that senior managers or executives could ignore that because of the penalties that, that, that may come. And that's helped. And if you can respond by saying, well, look, in order for us to meet GDPR, there are elements of ISO or NIST that we need to be able to follow. That's, that's more of a supporting act for the legislation than it is that you're just saying, well, it's just our CISO who just wants to add something to his CV. Mm. I like um, um, some key points you touched on there, um, Anik, especially around um, um, agile and in agile environments that's secure and being able to respond to whatever threats now that there is uh, distributed working in, in motion. That's very interesting. Thank you for sharing your insight there. Um, Brian, just to continue co continue with yourself, um, you know, with, with, with a lot of um, technology right now, um, a lot of IT directors are concerned about the fact that there are legacy ap applications, legacy protocols in, 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 their in their stack that actually stop them from, you know, seamlessly moving to the cloud. Um, how do you see that being um, an obstacle for, for businesses in the future? Um, <clears throat> well, it's, I, I, the technology has moved on. And it's not going to be it's not going to be easy, particularly in the industry that I'm in. We can't you know, we have some technologies that were that were written in house to provide certain functionalities, such as um, the, the, the graphics on the screen and things like that, where um, you couldn't just buy those off of the shelf. So for us to be able to just pick that up and move it into the cloud overnight is, is not going to be possible. It has to be phased. Um, so it, it's certainly not going to be easy, but there are going to be rewards in doing it. There's going to be, you know, better uptime, as I said, better resiliency, better continuity. Uh, it takes, it just takes that problem away from having to worry about that. It's, um, it, it's great when, you know, if you, if you do have a failure on your email system, that you can provide these regular updates and they're, and they're consistent to your senior managers about how long it's going to take, or it's the fact that it was the network card that's gone down, or the lights aren't on on the system, or you've had a hard drive failure, um, and you lose that. So, you know, if, if you lose uh, Microsoft Teams or Office 365 for a period of time, there's nothing you can do to fix it. But, so there's only so many updates that you can give back to those, to those senior managers. But those suppliers have a bigger workforce, more money invested, more resilience, um, you know, just just more of everything. So they're going to get it back a lot, a lot quicker. And that means that you can you can spend more time looking at other things and trying to work out what you're going to be doing about certain things rather than 
screaming at the engineers about how quickly it's going to take to get a hard drive across London in a taxi or something like that. Um, it's, I, I mean, I, th I think if you were a company starting from scratch now, you wouldn't dream of trying to rent office space and thinking, well, we're going to need a cupboard for the rack and for the servers. You're going to go cloud because it just makes perfect sense that you take advantage of that. And it, and it's, you know, ultimately it costs a lot less money. I wouldn't, I wouldn't dream of even wanting to work for a startup at the moment that wanted to do that and have all of their kit on premises. It was just, just too onerous and it's too much of a responsibility for a small company to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's that's very true. Yeah. Yeah, I think you'll find, you know, you'll find that it's more commercially viable to go down the cloud route anyway. You know, it's nobody, there are not many companies that really want to invest heavily in, in tin because they simply don't have anywhere to put it unless they're, you know, co-locating somewhere. So, you know, for us, a key driver behind moving to best of breed cloud solutions is to push that accountability to someone else you know and utilize their resources um and, and presenting back their their slas and their uptimes to to senior management um and you know that helps us buy these products but essentially you know it's it, it's more it, in the long run it is commercially more commercial commercially viable to to go down the cloud route because you're not having to invest in hardware I think I think that's a very a very um, good point, especially for for those organizations that are you know um, just starting off. You know, new startups, for example. Um, there, there are still those those organizations right now that have been existing for decades. You know, that are still concerned about moving to the cloud. You know, the cost of doing that, the the culture change, like Nick mentioned earlier, um, get, getting buy-in from leadership. So there is a lot of um, negative um, considerations that, that they'll be looking at. But um, Brian, in your journey so far, what have been those um, positives, you know, the enablers in your digital transformation journey that would be good to, to highlight? Well, the pandemic's a fantastic example of it, isn't it? Um, we had just um, finished migrating our, our, our corporate infrastructure to the cloud. So moving email and, and documents and, and storage. And obviously, prior to that, we'd been using Dropbox anyway. Um, and, you know, if, if we'd have still been in the old situation when the pandemic hit, I'm not entirely sure that we'd have been able to take 1500 people and say to them, you can all go and work from home. Um, it, the VPN wouldn't have been able to cope, the bandwidth uh, wouldn't necessarily have, have been there. Whereas it just didn't need to be a consideration because we'd done that that piece of work. Um, it was just amazingly um, frictionless, I think is, is probably the word to use. And, and it's just sort of demonstrated the fact that people can work from home or they can work from a Starbucks or, or wherever it is that they want to go and work and they can still have full access to all of the functionality that, that, that they've expected. And that's even for some of the areas that are, that are a priority for the, from the side of broadcasting to be able to monitor all of the feeds that are going on at the same time and make sure that everything's good and that we don't go off air. Um, they can do that from home. Whereas five, five seven years ago, um, that wouldn't even have been a consideration. So it, it's just been a, a great benefit for us there. I, I know you both use um, Dropbox um, within your environments. Um, Nick, I, I'm looking at the how you've been able to take Dropbox as a, as a collaboration solution um, and deploy it 
um, from a security perspective, um, how, how has Dropbox been able to help you, you know, to keep your, your information secure? Um, well, the main driver behind Dropbox for us is that you know, we have a we have quite a fragmented set, you know, set of data. So we'd have bits and pieces in SharePoint. We'd have other Dropbox users. We'd have it in G Suite, on-prem servers. What Dropbox has allowed us to do is is migrate to a single platform. Um, so we've got full visibility over where our data is, which has helped us from a compliance standpoint as well. Um, but also, you know, it's a scalable, scalable environment. It's secure enough so that we can um, quite easily collaborate and share documents with with clients, or at least to you know to external parties. Um, you know, and where our company has become pretty fragmented in an approach to to technology, it's enabled us to consolidate, you know, various other technology, you know, various other elements of our technology stack which kind of brings in kind of that ROI where we're not paying for different different data stores. Um, we're able to wrap more effective controls around our data, um, utilizing the inbuilt security tools in Dropbox, as well as the, um, the integration with Better Cloud to spin up stronger DLP policies around some of our more sensitive data. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, you know, having Dropbox in place has allowed us to integrate with all, you know, with some of our other tool sets like enabling SSO through 365 so that we, you know, we've got kind of full integration between those two platforms. So Dropbox has enabled us to put everything into one platform, giving us that full visibility, you know, a single source of truth to manage all of our data, monitor who has access to our data. And, you know, there's no additional resource required to do that. Um, it's all it's all managed centrally, you know, myself and the team. You know, we're not having to monitor multiple infrastructures, multiple data stores. It's it's just made it a bit more transparent and the workflow a little bit easier to manage. Very interesting. Um, Brian, is is there any um, thoughts on that as well for for um, Channel Four? Well, it's very, very similar for us. Um, the fact that we're able to use Dropbox and we use it to collaborate with our rich media with third party companies, so production houses and the like. Um, and it's just nice and simple to use. Um, but then we can feed it into all of the other security products that we have. So we're the same. It's with um, SSO and uh, Cloud Access Security Broker. And by having all of that data go through the same place, we're able to spot trends. We're able to see what's going on. So we can get alerts that come directly out of Dropbox if we see a mass data move. And that's not unheard of. Uh, uh, channel four obviously uh, if you're deleting a single file or a, a series of a, of a tv show that we've already broadcast that will trigger that alert but that gives me the opportunity to go in and have a look and see who did it why they did it and ask those further questions so it just pulls it all together it just means that that information's coming to me rather than me having to go to look for and, and look for it all of the time and, and and just being you know realistic with what is happening out there you know the, the last few months there have been a few um, a number of cloud service providers that have faced um, data breaches. Um, and that is that is a thing now. If it's not a matter of for security data breaches, it's not a matter of you know if it's a matter of when it's going to happen to an organization. Um, for for your perspective, a lot of um, businesses with organizations will still be concerned about that, and they will want to manage. You know, they'll be saying, "Oh, we will manage our security in-house." What are your What are your thoughts and your comments towards those viewpoints? For you, Brian. 
Um, yeah, okay. Well, it depends on the significance. Just because you've got the data still in your own building doesn't mean to say that you're not going to suffer from a breach. If the hackers want the data, they, they want the data. Um, and it's probably a lot easier to gain access. And most of the attacks normally happen through phishing or something like that. So it's not necessarily the, um, the fault of the, the service provider. It's, it's down to end user training and awareness to make sure that they can understand spot phishing. And to, but also, as you say, if, it's, if, if we're saying it's not if, it's when, then it's a question of how you're going to respond to it and what you can do. I remember LastPass a few years ago um, suffered from a breach, and that should have really caused a lot of panic for people that are storing you know, sensitive passwords within it. But the point being is, although they got hold of the files, the files were encrypted, which meant that there wasn't anything that the hackers could do with the information that they've got. That's another level of security. So, you know, if you're looking at a cloud provider, you've got to be asking the right questions. What, what certifications have you got? What are your locations? What's your resiliency? Where's your backup sites? How quickly can you alert us to a breach? How quickly can you, can you shut down access to our data if need be? These are all questions that you're going to ask, whether you're putting it in-house or whether or not you're, you're using a third-party provider or a cloud provider to, to be able to do that. And you've got to make sure that you're comfortable with the answers. I'm more comfortable knowing that a company like Dropbox or AWS or Microsoft or Google are going to be able to respond to a breach a lot quicker than we are ourselves in-house. Amazing. Thank you so much for that insight, Brian. Um, Okay. So today we've uh, quite a few um, viewpoints on here. You know, three quick questions we started this session with: Is your is the cloud secure enough for your business data and for collaborating with your employees or external parties? And we looked at it hindsight as well and what the benefit is from that, with what we where we are today, and how to better prepare for the future. Um, that's it from us today. Um, thank you very much, everyone, for for joining. And a big thank you to Nick and Brian for joining us today. Thank you. It's OK. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for joining us this week on Virtual Roundtables Live. Make sure to visit our website www.virtualroundtables.com to learn more about upcoming webinars and events.